Broadcasting to you all the way around the world, 380 degrees and into your ears. You're listening or you're watching Midnight Radio. I am your host, Jerry Adams. Hello, Fruit Loops. How are you doing? Is everyone doing all right? I'm telling you, if you hear any crackling, if you hear any stuttering, if you have any buffering, I'm having one hell of a lightning storm outside. That might just be what it is. It might be me. It might be you. I don't know. Let's not argue about this. Everyone doing all right? I'm telling you, I haven't seen you for a few days, maybe about four. And man, there has been a lot of stuff going on. Not the least of which I didn't call it the least. I said not the least. Let's not argue about that either. It's a Brian nothing burger hearing today. Arraignment is a proper name for it. And we're going to talk about that. But before we talk about the actual arraignment, we're going to talk about the things I learned before the arraignment and things that you might have learned. I learned about his interaction with a female colleague. They called her a colleague, although technically it would have been a student. They called it a colleague. We're going to talk about that. Uh, we're going to talk about... Let's see, what else am I going to talk about? Talk a little bit about <laughs> some messages. I got a message from Keith Morrison, which I think is pretty damn cool. All right, let's start it off here. What do we got? Uh, which one do I want to use? I like this one. All right, so check this out, everybody. Accused killer, Brian Nothingburger, he broke in, and it put it in kind of quotes, he broke in to female colleagues' home months before Idaho murders. I don't know who leaked this, but it was leaked uh, from Dateline. Someone leaked it to Dateline. It was leaked from Dateline. So let's let's talk about this. Everybody knows what he was accused of, killing the four University of Idaho students. So, it was a dark and stormy night. 28-year-old Nothing Burger befriended the co-ed at Washington State University just months before the brutal November murders of Madison Mogan, Kayla Gonsalves, Zana Kernodal, and Ethan Chapin. He broke into the woman's apartment and jostled things around. I wonder if he pilfered panties. I wonder if he pilfered panties. There's no information, no information whatsoever, no corroborating evidence. He hasn't even been charged with this. The scheme worked, so he broke into her house unannounced, and the unnamed woman asked him to install a video surveillance camera, which authorities now believe he could have. Not that he did, but believe he could have. Accessed remotely since he knew her Wi-Fi password. This is what Dateline said. They have a new special that came out, and damn it, I want to watch it. I would expect that he orchestrated the whole thing. He was not looking at her as a potential victim necessarily. This is what ex- uh, FBI profiler Greg Cooper told the network, but he orchestrated it so that he would that she would come to him, and then he would be able to help her. It's another level of power and domination and control over another person. This is imagination, really. Did All we know for a fact is that he installed a camera for her, for her. Although it being him and him being the person on trial for a murder of uh, the people he's accused of, the four people, then it makes you think twice, doesn't it? It makes you report differently, sure. They say that he did this 
so he could portray a hero image. You've got this problem. I'm here to solve the problem for you and to make it better for you. How the hell is that different than the United States government? I don't think it's different at all. And before you call me a conspiracy theorist, I'm telling you, I've been gone for four days and I've been very busy in those four days. Some of the things I found were against our, the government. And I'm like, okay, well, how the hell do I talk about this? And it's nothing you've heard before. It's something on a whole nother level. Anyway, keep tuning in for that because uh, I'm probably just going to release that one on Spotify, but it's a hell of a thing. Talk about social control mechanisms. Anyway, back to the task here. NBC also claimed that Cole Berger purchased a K-Bar knife and a sheath before moving to Washington and enrolling in the university. Wow, did they really? I mean, what we all read from the paperwork? What we already knew? He was indicted for the murders by grand jury this week, paving the way for a trial. He is expected to enter a plea next week. Today is next week. We're going to go over that. Okay, so I've heard people going back and forth. I'm going to take a sip of my coffee in my wonderful Midnight Radio mug, which is now available on MidnightRad.io in our our, uh, merchandise shop. But not this exact one. The ones we sell are all black. Anyway. I digress. All right. So here's a point of contention about the grand jury. There's people that are saying that this is outrageous, that he had a secret grand jury and he was indicted without anybody in the public knowing. I saw some video from Steve Gonsalves and he said that his family knew about it a week ahead of time. So he knew because of his lawyer, he knew. And I see other people who are no doubt watching internet lawyers who say, oh, this type of thing happens all the time. Here's what I think about it. Do these, technically, do these kind of grand juries happen all the time? Yes. Is it a part of the law process? Yes. And I believe there's somebody, and I'm glad they did. It was on our community post. I made a community post about it, and somebody copied and pasted the statutes for the state of Idaho, and that's fine and well. But how many times did they lie about it? Did they say that the the indictment's going to, you're having a hearing for the indictment on this day, and then have a secret one before it? So do they lie and misdirect? That's my question. Somebody possibly has an answer i come here for answers more than i come here with the answer to questions let me reverse that i come here for answers to questions more than i come here with my own answers does that make sense somebody's answers damn it all right let's go you know who always has answers is keith morrison my man check this out uh yeah let's just let's check this out we'll be back Come on, lady. Just finished watching NBC's Dateline special on she the Moscow murders. She the killings it on King much. Road, they called it. Well, we were watching alongside you, gaining more insight into Brian Koberger, the suspect in the Moscow murders. Today, Dateline's Keith Morrison talked with KTVB about the I love special. Keith. He's my favorite announcer, by the way. He's my favorite voiceover. News Channel anchor. 7's Jude Binkley joins us with whatever what the hell Keith you call him. talked about. Jude. 
Well, Carolyn, uh, despite the gag order on this case, Keith Morrison and the Dateline crew were able to uncover more about Koberger, his personality, and the type of person he is through interviewing people outside the case, like a forensic psychologist, FBI profilers, the victim's friends, and one of Koberger's classmates. In this case, there has been so much interest, so much online, uh, so much continuing discussion of the case that we felt it was reasonable for us to, to you know, do some pretty thorough research on it and see what we could put together to help people understand what where they are and where they might be going. That thorough research led Dateline to discover disturbing details of Brian Koberger's actions before the murders in November of 2022. We have spoken to some of the leading authorities anywhere on some of the questions involved in, in, uh, in this particular case. That information unveiling more about Koberger's car ride across the country heading home for Christmas. That I do want to know. You know what I found out? And I'll just tell you now. I found out that the charges, there's pending charges on him burglarizing his co-ed friend and putting in that, putting in that, that camera. You know, you guys that are watching this, especially those that I don't know before, and you're just coming in and watching this, I'd like you to take the time to sit down there, clear your mind of everything, and think, has there ever been a man that's installed a security system for me? Has there ever been a man that's done that? Do I have any uh, cameras inside of my house? Now, we don't know where those cameras were for her. It might be outside uh, pointing, you know, across the window to see if anybody's coming up to it or at her door. We don't know if it's on the inside. Has there been a man that's put a camera inside your house that has helped you with that? Even if it's your husband. Well, chances are they might be spying on you. Don't trust anyone. Let's continue here. I'm serious. Christmas. We have found. All right. I'm serious about this. Stop and think about it. And I'll tell you why I'm serious about it. First off, myself, do I have cameras in my house? Should I even talk about this? Yes. Um, I don't believe in having cameras linked up through a uh, Chinese company to where it can be not secure, all right? Nothing that is has cloud computing because that takes a handful of other people and gives them access to your stream, all right? But, and this is not me, all right? I've never done this, never, ever. Didn't have the desire to. But where I worked at, there was a lot of men as a hobby would spend the time on their phones with an app spying on their wives. So check that out. Think about that. Some of you might be cool with it. Some of you be, might think, well, I, I never thought about my husband, you know, staring at me all day on the uh, old camera. Just saying what really did happen it's odd and, and that's an interesting story in itself the origins of the k-bar knife believed to have been used. so how many of you watched that what 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 did they report that was different on their traveling him and his father nothing burger and his father in the traveling. killings so how much planning may have been involved we can't say for sure but there are some interesting indicators and the story of a student in one of Koberger's TA classes, the alleged killer installing cameras in her apartment after a break-in. He's now a suspect both in the initial break-in and for reasons of putting a camera in her apartment to which he would have had access. Experts diving into behavior that lies behind this type of criminal activity. When you trace his early life, it matches certain kinds of behaviors. 
um, talking about seeing visual snow, for example, about the kind of dissociative episodes he would have gone through as a young person, um, and and the the resulting need to kind of level the playing field in a very visceral and intimate way. All right, now somebody came on here and they told me that it was proven that those disassociative uh, posts from when Kohlberger was a teenager, uh, and it was named after some obscure Jedi Sith Lord, you know, the name of it, and he did those posts about visual snow. Uh, Somebody told me that was verified as being fake, and the person that did it was, um, God, I can't remember the name, it was a husband and wife group here on YouTube, but I heard that was fake. Have you guys heard about that? with people who have rejected him in the past or, or some representative of people who have rejected him in the past, um, especially young women uh, with whom he had always been awkward and had some difficulty relating. The special is Dateline's second show on the Moscow murders. Keith Morrison telling us about the tremendous interest in this case. Well, it's an absolutely fascinating story. The character study involved here um, is disturbing, but... But I think it's probably important to know. And did you know that Keith Morrison is, who is it from uh, something, Perry, Perry Wilson? What was his name from Friends? This is his stepfather, uh, the character of Chandler. To think about. This is his uh, real life stepfather. wouldn't be the only kind of character I can't remember like this damn that, Perry, Luke Perry, no. Like others who have well, some Perry, their damn way it. through the history of this country. <laughs> and people will find it fascinating. All right, I'm going to stop it right there. I'm going to put the full link to everything I'm showing you in the show notes. Right now, we're going to move on to your favorite thing other than Midnight Radio, right? News Nation, although this isn't our girl Banfield. She comes on tonight. I'm going to be sure to be off the internet so I can watch your girl Banfield on tonight. She's going to talk when about this. When the judge asked if he would enter a this guilty isn't her. or not guilty plea. It does kind of sound like her. Matthew Perry, thank you. plea on Brian Koberger's behalf. He read them through the procedural process of five counts. Count one, burglary. Count two, three, four, and five, murder in the first degree in the deaths and murders of Madison Mogan, Kaylee Gonsalves, Zana Kernodo, I really don't care Ethan what Chapin, the maximum this penalty lady's saying. In addition to a burglary charge up to 10 years would be four consecutive life sentences and or the death penalty if he is found guilty you can so a little background on this this is them actually in the court you can see his hair is longer he didn't have a fight with his his razor to shave his face this time uh he has a little bit of neck hair but what can i say so do i right now she looks like she lost some weight for the cameras uh there's some hand sanitizer over there i wonder if that's coffee or water but they weren't giving cups so this was the whole process took about five minutes not to talk not to mention about the gag order we're going to go into that too but brian enton does give some good information as he's talking about olivia gonsalves's uh, daughter you can hear some sniffles in the courtroom i know the families of the four university of idaho students are in by the way this was so all this footage had to come from a jury poll, I guess, from like a poll, a, um, what do they call it? Media poll. So nobody got access to this footage till after it. They're playing it like it's happening live, and they played this as soon as they could get it. Uh, Brian Enton was on there, and some of us followed his tweets because he could tw- live tweet, and he told us everything that was going on. 
in the courtroom as well. I believe we have News Nation's Brian Enton standing by. Brian, uh, what's it like in there and for these families as they prepared for this difficult day? Well, it's not very damn fun. Yeah, Marty, I just stepped out. Um, it, it was emotional. I mean, there were about 25 family members uh, representing the four victims, uh, which That's a was lot. a lot. There were a lot of people that I didn't even recognize that hadn't been to the hearings in the past. Uh, it was a very, very small courtroom, so they took up about half of the courtroom, all seated on one side. Um, they were emotional even before court began, uh, and then they brought Brian Koberger in right before they started the proceeding. And, and again, it's so small that where they were sitting was really very, very close uh, to Koberger, so it made for a, a somewhat uncomfortable situation, obviously, for them to be that close to the man accused of killing their loved ones uh but they powered through it you, you said you heard the sniffling he's about to make mention of how forcefully brian colberger answers the questions from the judge like these are the charges against you and she reads them or he reads them because they changed they changed judges now and he's like yes i do and then it gets to the point where they ask him how he pleads and he had a different story for that I mean, there was certainly crying. Uh, one thing that really struck me is Kaylee's sister, Olivia. Um, last time I interviewed her, she was pregnant. Well, she's now had the baby, um, and she had uh, the baby with her um, in court, sort of strapped to her chest. So as they were doing all of this, you could sort of hear, like, baby cooing noises. Um, and, and I think maybe that brought the family some support. I saw Kaylee's uh, mom, Christy, go and sit next to uh, her daughter and the baby. And I think that sort of lightened the mood a little bit. Um, but, but the big news, obviously, he didn't officially um, enter a plea. So the judge entered a not guilty plea for him. And this trial has now been set October 2nd. So he didn't, he didn't plea. That's odd. Do you think he did that because the family was in there? Somebody told me that technically that was a no contest. And for no contests, the judge turns it into a not guilty. Of course, there's also something called an Alfred plea where you can plead guilty, but not that not saying that you did it. That's called an Alfred plea. He didn't do that. He didn't say anything. I thought that was interesting. It's noteworthy, and apparently everybody else does because it's in all the headlines. Uh, not far away at all, uh, and they say it's going to take uh, four to six weeks, Marty. Brian, this is the first time that we've seen Brian Koberger in court in the last couple Also to be noted, so it starts the timeline for the prosecution to put in the paperwork for him to get the death penalty. So we're going to find out if they're going to seek the death penalty here in about two months, 60 days. So that's interesting. And the court date, which is the actual trial, is going to start in October now. So more was it October 13th? I'll talk about it here in a minute. A couple of months. What did you notice about him? He said just a few words, yes, I do, yes, no, just going through the procedure of it all. What did he look like? How did he seem? Yeah, in terms of how he looked, I mean, 
he looked about the same to me as last time I saw him last time he was in court here a couple of months ago. I was really like paying attention to see did he look skinnier? Did he look bigger? Did it, you know, were there any changes? He looked about the same to me. His he hair looks looked like a, a little nose bit with some ears. I mean, um, what can you say, build, Brian? It's hard to make out because he's wearing what appears to be some kind of like big, bulky, bulletproof vest or something like that. I don't know what the right name is underneath um, and the he has orange some soap on a rope and so a chastity belt bigger than he actually is because you could tell it was a big vest underneath um and he, he sort of had the same demeanor as last time uh came in very very quiet to sort of look straight ahead at the judge he had to answer those yes or no questions and he did and he you know was very like sort of stern in the way he answered he didn't just say like yes softly i mean you heard it he you know he, he answered very um like he knew exactly what was going on um, and they went through all the questions, and he, he never seemed to look back at any of the victims' families. Um, I did not notice anyone from uh, his family in court. And another court not. date now set for October, correct, Brian? Yeah, not just a court date. I mean, the trial. The trial has now been set for October 2nd. Um, so, uh, you know, of course there could be delays. Things could change between now and then, but both sides All right, going on here. Let's check out Brian's Twitter. Brian's Twitter, he likes to talk to the peoples. So it started out with boom, ba boom, boom, boom. Oh, here's here's some raw footage. The raw footage here. Entering. Just keeps going. All right, what else do we got here? All right, all right, all right. The judge is reading. So I'm going to take you tweet by tweet, the way Brian covered it. All right, so he started outside the courthouse. I'm not going to play that one. Made it into the courtroom. It's pretty small. Cole Berger is not in here yet. Prosecutor Bill Thompson just walked in. And the name of the judge, his name was Judge Judge. The victim's families are arriving into the courtroom. Kelly's sister, Olivia, has her baby with her. I count about 25 people here sitting in the family section. A lot of people I have not seen before. Many are already emotional. Families on one side, media is on the other, about 50 people total. Totally quiet in here, waiting. All you hear is reporters typing and Olivia's baby making soft cooing noises. I don't see any of Brian Kohlberger's family here, but there is also an overflow room I can't see. Kohlberger just came in. Kohlberger is wearing an orange jumpsuit, uh, seems to be wearing a bulletproof vest underneath. Judges reading, Kohlberger, his rights and charges. Kohlberger is looking straight ahead and nodding a bit to show he understood what the judge is saying. Kohlberger just said, yes, I do. When judge asked if he understands anything he says can be used against him. Judge is now going over the, it says inducement with Kohlberger, but I think he meant indictment. The judge is reading each victim's name as he goes over the murder charges. Somebody told me that the judge mispronounced some of the names. Judge tells Kohlberger the maximum penalty 
is life in prison or death. Kohlberger says yes, that he understands the charges and penalties. Kohlberger is standing silent, so the judge is entering a not guilty plea. The prosecution now has 60 days to seek the death penalty. Kohlberger's attorney is asking the judge to set the trial for October. She says it will take at least four weeks, maybe six. Brian Kohlberg's trial date is set for October 2nd at 8.30 a.m. Court adjourned. Kohlberger's arraignment video on News Nation right now. Hearing related to Brian Kohlberger gag order is about to start. Can't stop thinking about Olivia's baby in court. The message it sent. And this is a statement from Kayla Gonsalves' family. The family would like to thank everyone for continuing to follow the case and keep the memories of Kaylee, Maddie, Zanna, and Ethan alive. They are what is important, not the defendant. We are thankful that the the Lataw County District Attorney's Office finally took the case to to grand jury and came back with an indictment. At the same time, we are disappointed that the judicial process has not been more efficient in addressing the gag order. This is just the beginning of a long journey for all the families, and we are thankful for your continued support and coverage. Kohlberger's back in the courtroom for the gag order hearing. Kohlberger standing silent when the judge asked. Okay, that's where we already went over. Gonsalves family attorney wants the gag order issues resolved quickly, asking the judge to address it this week. Judge says because the media coalition went to the Supreme Court, it has slowed down the process. Judge says AP media coalition needs to tone down their challenge to the gag order. There are two different issues happening in court right now with the Kohlberger gag order. One, the Gonsalves attorney wants clarity so he can speak on behalf of his clients too the media coalition is fighting for more public information in less strict gag order so there's two things they're looking for judge is not making any decisions today on the kohlberger gag order hearing set for june 9th to address it also a hearing on june 27th to address cameras in court uh, correction both gag order and cameras will be addressed on the 9th 27th is evidentiary hearing So we've gone over how Brian Kohlberger apparently is uh, being blamed for possibly, I mean, they're using real language, that he had a colleague that was afraid because someone broke into her apartment or uh, burglarized her apartment, went inside there and moved things around, pilfered the panties, if you will. So she asked him if he would, you know, install a camera system in there and apparently he did and they think that he was spying on her of course we don't have any more um report of the evidence behind that and i heard charges are pending and the investigation is still ongoing for that but here's something i found kind of interesting maybe it's kind of a side story but it says a brian kohlberger investigation expenses leave moscow facing a financial brink The quiet college town of Moscow, Idaho, is buckling under the financial pressures of funding the investigation into the killings for four students in November last year. The city, which brings in $6.9 million in property taxes each year, is already spending $7.2 million on its police force. Are you kidding me? It was already 
So it was already in the red. Moscow officials told ABC News even before the department had to handle the quadruple murder case, but the bill skyrocketed as the investigation ramped up. With increased patrols on the street, working hours extending with overtime, and various expenses such as forensic tests adding up, the victims, Kayla Gonsalves, Madison Mogan, Zana Kernodal, and Ethan Chapin were all stabbed to death in the early hours. We know that. And December 30th, he was taken into custody. It was criminology PhD student Brian Nothingberger. He said he was eager to be exonerated. So the Moscow mayor said, it was a tragic and horrible event that no one saw coming. It's been a difficult six months. Aside from the human cost of the tragedy, there have been other unexpected consequences. And he went on to say that Moscow is not awash in funding excess, the mayor told the news channel. We run a very, very lean budget, and the impact of the investigation has been felt on the budget. We're just trying to tread fiscal water to avoid going under. The situation stops future investment in certain aspects of the city that clearly need to be done. For us, this is unknown territory. We've never gone through this before. We're feeling our way along as best we can, trying to accommodate all the needs, the competing needs, maintaining the city for our citizens, and seeing that justice is done. So I wonder what kind of things are gonna they're not going to be able to do now with the city. I mean, more than just the streets. I mean... Of course, there's maintenance to some things. Very interesting. Just three weeks in the investigation, the mayor sent a letter to Idaho Governor Brad Little requesting financial help. He asked for 200000 and the governor said no and sent him $93,000. So there's a huge... They're in the red, and they, they were in the red, and they're going to continue to be in the red. Just three weeks in the investigation, he sent a letter. Yeah, that's it. And he's saying it may even grow larger yet. The true financial impact of the homicide investigation will not be known for quite some time as the case is still in process. Police overtime bills were particularly high because the force is currently short-staffed and is currently working with 27 officers instead of the 36 it should have. Moscow police received the largest share of funding from the city budget with more than a third of the pot allocated to the department but the cost of the massive investigation is pushed up spending exponentially taxes were already due to be hiked in the city by three percent even before the murders and the financial situation has become more dire since then. it looks like moscow idaho is a place that you might want to visit but wouldn't want to live and he saw him saying we weren't pre- prepared for this this is such a horrific thing you budget for fires, you budget for floods, you prepare for natural disasters. This was not natural. The cost is astronomical. And you can't skimp on keeping people safe. Mitchell Lopez, co-owner of La Casa Lopez, a Mexican restaurant on Main Street, said he had been left heartbroken by the murders and said that local students made up many of his customers and staff, but he added, the t- this town emptied out so quickly, nobody would go out. They were scared. We've always been a very safe haven, and this really caused a major financial burden on every business in the area. So this is interesting. I'm going to put a link to this in the show notes. Let me go back to the first story we did. This was about accused killer 
Brian Kohlberger allegedly, allegedly broke into female colleagues home. Uh, we went over this. I'm going to go back down here and I'm going to look, I'm going to read you some of the comments. Those are always fun, aren't they? There was a significant issue that was brought up during the Dateline special, but was never explained. They mentioned at some point, not long before the murders, he had a falling out with his boss at the school and he was terminated as a result. This seems like a fairly significant event. They briefly mentioned, but failed to elaborate on. And uh, somebody said they, they left out a lot of things like the drug money he was looking for the, that they owed him, which is the reason he broke in. Well, this is interesting. They left out a lot of things like the drug money he was looking for that they owed him, which is the reason he broke in. Uh, is he talking about his colleague or is he talking about the Idaho Four? Ed in North Texas. I found multiple allegations from former friends and other students that Cole Berger was, was addicted to heroin, but not an allegation that any of the victims owed him money, whether from drug buys or otherwise. As you apparently have information not generally available, it would be appreciated if you would post a link to source information. Somebody's saying, stop, please. And someone's saying, wake up, please. Mixed media reports on the incident, but allegedly WSU denies that since the arrest, WSU criminal justice program allegedly bans class discussion on BK and the murders. Much on that at Dateline Special was not confirmed. Much of what is confirmed was not included. Where did this theory come from? When he was accused of breaking into an apartment to move things around, too convenient. They are shoehorning non-existent evidence into a small hole of a theory. Cole Berger is being railroaded and the real killer is laughing. I still don't think it was him. You're either ignoring the mountains of forensic and circumstantial circumstantial evidence, or you're incredibly naive, perhaps both. Why hasn't anyone been slaughtered since he was arrested? What kind of like no one else was slaughtered after OJ was arrested, huh? Uh-oh, she told him. All right, where are we at now? All right, that concludes my Idaho 4 coverage for today. But that doesn't include this other weird shit I'm about to go over. So if you got your cup of coffee, just hold on to it, take a couple sips, because we got a few more things to go over here. And so there's some things I want to talk about in Oklahoma in the McPherson investigation and uh, I'm really interested in the the um, McPherson investigation because I got the search warrants and there's some really odd things on there so I've been waiting to talk about the McPherson investigation I've been chomping at the bit to talk about the old man McPherson investigation in Oklahoma because we've been following it I'm going to dedicate an entire video to that. I'm going to release that within the next couple days. So check that out. I'm looking at the chat room right now. 
Uh, boom, a whole lot of infighting with these people. There's a whole lot of infighting everywhere with somebody that talks on about a case, and it doesn't matter if they're friends or not. Um, oh, I'm obsessed with the story. Uh, oh, this is interesting. This is a good point. We were talking about where was the the body cameras from arresting Cole Berger. Somebody said, I think that's because the FBI arrested him. They don't do body cams in the FBI. Actually, it wasn't the FBI that arrested him. It talks about the arresting officers and it wasn't the FBI. Uh, the arresting officers are in the arrest paperwork. See, they have no body cam for arrest or search. Uh-uh. But yet the state is paying for his attorneys. The state is, yes. All right. All right. Moving right along. Moving on up. This is uh all right. Oh wait, wait, wait. Wait, I already got it up. Oi, 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 oi. Check this out. We'll see. So this is the author. Um hold on. Alright, let me let me just let me let, let me show you this video first. This is your girl, Banfield. You didn't think it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen. The Utah murder mom that murdered her husband and wrote a children's book about this. How sick is this shit? Seriously. How sick is this? What if a man did it? What if a man murdered his wife? He murdered his wife, and then he wrote a children's. Oh, where mommy goes when she dies. How sick would that be? Murder writing a children's book about the death of their significant other. Just completely what the hell, right? All right, well, there's more information about what's going on with insurance, drug connections, drug schemes, and I think she had to be getting some side hustle from some guy, all right? Let's check it out right now. We'll talk about it on the flip side. Throw it to you, Ash. I always say that if I couldn't laugh my way through this job, I would cry myself into a glass of wine after every show because the material we cover, Alex, is so upsetting. But the people who are alleged or do commit these things are such morons. And sometimes you just have to laugh, uh, but for the, the sadness. So walk me through a little bit of this beginning part, okay? The information dump that we got with these new charging documents was just kind of like eye-popping. Yeah, I think there was a ton of questions that we had, like first and foremost, the fact that this death happened more than a year ago, but the arrest didn't happen until, you know, about a week and a half ago. So why why is there that huge gap? But also what facts and evidence do law enforcement actually have? And it really came from this amended indictment that dropped late last night, in which case we got so many more details about Corey and her character about the mountain of death that she was reportedly in. And then also, like you've been mentioning, how she actually got her hands on hundreds of dollars worth of illicit fentanyl uh, that police believe she used to lace her husband's Moscow mule and ultimately kill him. Oh, hell no. It's a Moscow mule. Um, Hey, guys, I guess there's a drinking game going on. Whenever I say Ashley Banfield, you have to take a shot or whenever I say Ashley. So the motive um, seems to be coming to light, at least if these documents um, and the allegations in them are accurate or true, right? Prosecutors can always say what they want to say, but jurors will ultimately, you know, be the arbiters of that. And it looks as though there was like 
I don't know, four million. Is that that can't be right? Four million dollars worth of properties and insurance, etc., that she thought she might get if he were dead. Yeah, I mean, when you do the aggregated total of all of our different schemes, you're going to get a number that's well into the millions. Like, take, for example, the life insurance policies that she was purchasing on her husband's behalf, right? From Damn. a two-year period beginning in 2015 to 2017. Actually, she bought four she life insurance like policies. Fun and joy to our entire family. Somewhere nearly $2 million. Um, and then she was also doing other things, right? Like taking out a line of credit, spending about $250,000 uh, against oh. her home. She was also spending her husband's money freely about a hundred thousand dollars these documents allege not to mention stealing his credit cards thirty thousand dollars worth of credit card debt uh this is all within this document really goes to show uh how money was a huge factor here how she was just spending on a spree and really was not telling her husband about much of it at all okay so talk to me a little bit about the drug connection what are the allegations about buying the fentanyl it sounds like you know keystone cops except they're not cops Yeah, really what we are hearing here is that she uh, left quite a bit of a digital trail, both in Facebook Messenger and also uh, within her text messages. There's three people in general who we see are connected to Corey through these documents, right? There's one anonymous person who's listed as CL, the initial CL. I'm telling you, she was sitting on some other guy's face. I'm telling you. It was CL who was also pairing Corey with two other acquaintances, people that would meet in these sketchy gas stations in rural Utah make the handoff, and then ultimately provide those pills to Corey. They had secret locations, uh, sometimes in uh, homes that Corey was trying to flip or sometimes even doing the transactions right there on the driveway. But really, it's this web of dealers that law enforcement have been able to find through this digital footprint. And to me, Ashley, it's very clear, based on all of this new information that we're getting from this amendment, uh, amended indictment, that these drug dealers have flipped on Corey. They have just given well, I'm sure. every bit of information well, that yeah. they might possibly have uh, in order probably to save themselves. But really... Because if they, they can flip on her and there's no repercussions, they can flip on somebody else involved in the drug trade and they're going to get murdered. So if you're somebody... Listen to me. I've talked to JT Kinderfeller about this, and he would tell you, you don't want to be the odd person out when you're dealing with people. I'm not talking about doing drugs. I'm, I'm talking about dealing with people that are involved in the drug community, and I'm talking about the upper level, the sales department. You don't want to be the odd man out because it'll be you, and you can't say anything back or you'll get murdered in prison. Just saying don't do it. Ultimately, throw Corey under the bus and all the drugs that she was buying. I mean, that's how it works. You know, prosecutors and police look at these guys and girls and say, you want to go down or do you want, you know, your not so close friend to go down? That's an easy one. Quick one here. Very dramatic moment in these charging documents between Eric Richens, the victim, uh, his sister and Corey Richens, who thinks she's going to drill open a safe a couple days after he's dead. What happened? All right. So, yeah, again, the Utah murder mom, the murder case, her name is Corey, Sit- uh, Corey Richens. All right, that's her name. Put a link to everything in the show notes below. Corey right, Richens. This is a wild anecdote that we found within these documents only three days after Eric Rich- That poor bastard. Man, working his ass off, just trying to live his best life. Man. 
Richens died, Corey Richens had hired a locksmith and brought him to the house to try to drill into Eric's personal safe. These documents say that inside that personal safe within the house, there was somewhere upwards of $165,000. Corey trying to get into there, but Eric's sister was also on hand. She stepped in. She said, hey, you do not have authorization. Here's the thing. Money does not make you happy. Not one bit. It doesn't matter if you have a billion dollars, a trillion dollars, or 500. It will not make you happy. To do that, and that made Corey flip out. Uh, apparently, to these documents, they say she got enraged, and she punched Eric's sister in the face and in the neck in a very dramatic moment in which sheriff's deputies had to get called to that scene as well. It really, to me, goes to show the sort of desperation perhaps Corey was feeling at that time. Also, a bit of a temper, right? Something that you see when someone gets angry, all of a sudden they're using their fists to try to sort out their differences. Oh, that will be litigated as if it can get into the, the trial, if there's going to be a trial or a plea, who knows? But wow, those details are crazy. And it's just the tip of the iceberg. Alex Capriello, great report. The tip of the iceberg and Ashley, take a shot, knows about icebergs. I don't know. So look, here's, here's the story with more details. She took out $2 million in life insurance policies on her husband right before the murder. She's accused of fatally poisoning her husband and then authoring a children's book about grief. She was on the local news channel. She allegedly purchased four life insurance policies on his life, totaling $2 million. Of course, it says on this, uh, it says he purchased four life insurance policies on his life, totaling 2 million years. Uh, Corey Rich is 33. She purchased the policies without her husband between 2015 and 2017. So she'd been planning this for a while. How long have they been married? Let's find out. The new allegations led a judge to postpone Rich's detention hearing from his previously scheduled date to June 12th. So we're going to have to wait now. They said the mom of three slipped five times a legal dose of fentanyl into a Moscow mule she mixed her 39-year-old husband in March. For some reason, she looks familiar to me. That sweet thing. What is this video here? Is that her? No, it's today's headlines. She made national headlines last week when she was charged with this murder after she had self-published a kid's book titled, Are You With Me? About a father who passed away and looked down on his sons as an angel and promoted it on TV and radio shows. Prosecutors also said she took out $250,000 in equity credit. And she spent the whole thing. She stole about $134,000 from her husband's business. She withdrew $100,000 from his bank accounts. Spent more than $30,000 with credit cards. I want to see this book. Um, Let me see if we can buy a copy of this book right now. No, Not joking. Let me see. What was the name of the book? She purchased, a, she wrote a book called She took out, or he learned about his wife's secret financial decisions in 2020 and met with a divorce lawyer and estate planner the next month, according to the documents. She reportedly agreed to pay her husband back when he confronted her about the missing money. All right, let's go try to get a copy of this book, y'all. Self-published. Damn it. Are you with me? 
All right. I'm going to leave you all here for a second as I go on my uh, Amazon. Because I'm thinking, are you with me? Oh, my goodness. All right. All right. Are you with me? All right. Let's go get our name on this. I got more news after this, y'all. But all right. Her name is Corey Richens. All right. Here we go. Oh, my God, there it is. It's not. Oops. Um, Are you with me? A lot of people have been searching for it. Maybe it's been taken off. Damn it, I want to get a copy of that. If anybody can get a copy of that, I mean, it's not a morbid fascination, but I want to look at it and read it now that we know what really happened. Oh, cringe, man, cringe. Oh, what is that? What is that, brain? What are you saying? Are you with me, PDF from the internet? Well, some people wouldn't go there, but I will. All right, are you with me, Corey Richens, PDF? All right, here we go. Oh, my gosh, it's been reviewed on um, Goodreads. Author of book, author of book. If anybody could find a copy of that, let me know. I guess I'll show you this. So, Are You With Me is written to create peace and comfort for children who have lost a loved one. It's to reassure children that although your loved one is present, they're present always. Wait, to assure children that although your loved one is not present, their presence always exists and they walk through life with you as if they were here want to read buy on amazon oh sorry we pulled it from amazon okay it was on amazon it's been pulled want to read sign up for goodreads well they're not gonna let me read it now are they five people are currently reading 74 people want to read it so i'm not the first person that had this thought oh you guys gotta check this out all right, check this out. The classic example of Cutspaw is the joke about the man who murders his parents and then demands clemency from the court because he's an orphan. Well, with this book, Corey Richens has turned her own life into an updated version of that old joke. She murdered her husband, allegedly, but the evidence looks pretty slam dunk, and then went out and wrote a book about dealing with that tragic loss. In a way, you have to admire the absolute nerve of the thing. The author has now been charged with the murder of her husband. Kind of scary she wrote this. I want to know about before you guys knew about this and started making comments. Come on, come on. Here we go. This was from March 30th, 2023. I don't think I will be able to read this book with the kids because I know for sure that this book will make me cry, will make me ugly cry, as it just did every time I read it. I love the first half, but it's the second half which made me cry harder and harder. I will never be ready for this book. All right. Well, that was from uh, March. Uh, This is from May, and people are talking bad about it again. This one is from March. Very inspiring children's book with great illustrations and a wonderful message. 
a heartwarming children's book that offers comfort and solace to young minds who have experienced the difficult challenge of losing a parent. Written by a loving mother who has personally faced the situation, this book provides a reassuring message that no matter where you go or who you become, the love of those you've lost remains with you with vibrant and colorful illustrations. This book follows the story of a child who has lost her father but is reminded that their father's presence still exists all around them, just like an angel watching over them. Are you with me? It's a celebration of the resilience of human spirit and the unbreakable bond between parent and child. Sue, well written. You're wrong. What is well written? Here's what the book, can you see? No, it's hard to see the cover of it. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I mean, it has her husband in a cloud. It's so wrong. All right, moving on, moving on. Let's see, am I, oh my gosh. So I'm back on the story here. There she is. There's her husband. Before his death, Eric Richards had recently cut his wife out of his will, changed his life insurance policy as he sought a divorce. Apparently that wasn't enough. She allegedly tried to name herself the beneficiary of the policy, but was caught by Eric. He reversed the move, adding back his sister to the plan. Both sides of the family have spent the past several months in court over Eric Richens' $3.6 million estate. I bet he wishes he didn't have it. His sister told investigators that Richens had previously tried to poison their brother, including on a trip to Greece. He had recently warned his family that if anything happened to him, she was to blame. I'm telling you, WTF, if you have that much insight to the person that you're supposedly having some kind of relationship with is trying to kill you batting down the damn hatches. Don't go out to dinner with them. Don't go for that foot rub. And if they're trying to cozy up to you on the couch, get the hell out of there. Seriously. The, the murdered husband also had reason to believe that riches was carrying out an affair throughout their marriage. Okay, this was reported by family representatives. I knew it. She was sitting on some other guy's face. She allegedly poisoned him a final time between the night of March 3rd and early March 4th. Police found Rich's body on the floor at the foot of his bed and pronounced him dead at the scene. She reportedly told cops she and her husband had been celebrating plans to purchase a $2 million home that night. He already knew that she was trying to kill him and she was trying to steal his money. Don't trust anybody, especially people you can't trust. She later found him on the floor, cold to the touch, upon returning to their bedroom after sleeping in the kid's bedroom. Police later learned she had placed two $900 orders from fentanyl pills from a drug dealer acting as an informant on the case. Uh Uh-huh. All right, let's read the comments. Behold the modern woman, money first, love a distant second. With women initiating 81% of the divorces currently, even higher among college grads, and the the quota of non-divorce court being the woman always wins, marriage is a lose-lose proposition for today's man. Unless you're a lucky nab a keeper early in life. Wow. That was by the poet Woke Joke, apparently. Hey, I'm just reading. I'm not saying this stuff. I'm not blaming women. Cold-hearted woman who dreamed of money and mansions will find the warmth of a cozy prison cell. This woman needs the Utah firing squad. Oh, man. 
Some of these reactions are rank. But I sure like to read them. I sure like to read them, everybody. Oh, man. All right, I got more disturbing stuff coming up. Truly disturbing. That was disturbing. You know, side note, hold on a second. Don't you hate how somebody, whether they're a man, whether they're a woman, whether they're African-American, Hispanic, white, South American, East American, West American, everybody that looks at that case tries to define the person. Oh, well, here's another uh, murder by someone from this race and ethnicity. And uh, Come on, man, drop the bullshit. Evil is evil. It doesn't matter uh, what sexuality somebody is. It doesn't matter what... Uh, ethnicity i mean it's, come on drop the bullshit that's what they want you to think you know evil is evil call out the evil grow the fuck up seriously grow the fuck up i'm gonna say it i'm gonna continue right here and this is awfully disturbing i guess i might have to put a, a language warning on this episode all right this made me vomit when I read it and when I watched it. Check this out. Good evening, everyone. I'm Sarah Sager. Thanks for joining us this evening. First tonight, a heart-wrenching case of child neglect in Jackson County, West Virginia, with three people, including the children's parents, now facing charges. The sheriff says it involves two two-year-old twins in Ripley, and one of those boys found nearly dead. News Channel 3's Andrew Colgrove has the story. Neighbors here along Meadowlark Lane in Ripley sickened after hearing details of a child neglect case that led to three people being charged. Makes me angry and upset. It's just amazing to me that animals like this still exist. Sheriff Ross Mellinger says his department was notified Monday evening of an unresponsive two-year-old twin at this apartment. The twin-year-old boy two years old been locked in a a hell-on-earth type situation. The sheriff says deputies found one of those twin boys unconscious. He was first taken to a hospital in Ripley. Two years then old. Then one in Charleston before he was flown to another hospital in Morgantown. Medical staff saying he was badly malnourished and dehydrated. We hope he survives. We hope he can can fall through this. The sheriff says the parents, Michael and Lily Gillenwater, are accused of self-medicating the kids to get them to sleep. A third of self-medicating the kids we're talking about two-year-olds to get them to sleep i wonder what they were self-medicating them with we're talking about two-year-olds don't brian casto also lived in the apartment roommate the sheriff says the three adults would keep the twins locked in a bedroom in their diapers for days and they were given food pieces of ground beef two-year-olds locked in their room for days twins two of them in a room for days and cereal under the door. The average barnyard animal would probably provide better parental care. I can't imagine. Nurturing than what uh, these kids were afforded through the three adults living in this home. Every child's life is a blessing, and you need to cherish that blessing. Corey Atkins lives nearby and is a parent himself. He says it's hard to comprehend children being treated this way. Doing that to your children, I feel like they need to be in prison for that. You know, that's not right. They and need to I be in prison. The child is okay. The sheriff says his office will be working with CPS and the courts to get convictions and strong punishment for those charged. Andrew Colgrove, WSA. There she 3. is, Miss America. Ripley. 
Now, the suspects you just saw there were taken to the South Central Regional Jail on bonds of $150,000. The sheriff says the boy who was flown to Morgantown has improved to stable condition, but still has a lot of hurdles to clear medically. The other twin and older female child have been removed from that home. All right. Good evening, everyone. And let's see what more information we can glean from the article written about this. And, of course, we can. They were notified Monday, the Sheriff's Department, of an unresponsive two-year-old at an apartment on Meadow Lake Lane. The sheriff said when deputies arrived, the boy was unconscious. He was taken to a nearby hospital before being flown to another. They said he was extremely malnourished and dehydrated. The cops are looking around. And, of course, they can look inside the room. According to Mellinger, the three adults would keep the twins locked in a bedroom in their diapers for days, and they were given pieces of ground beef and cereal under the door. I'm going to continue to follow this. It's horrible. Horrible. Absolutely horrible. All right. Now this one... See, this is my last story here. This is not as bad, but, you know, this is something I've heard about my whole life. You heard about the ruby slippers being stolen? Well, they're back home now, and they arrested the bastard who did it. A man has been indicted by one of them secret grand juries I've been hearing about on charges of stealing a pair of red ruby slippers worn by Judy Garland in The Wizard of Oz. Me and mother used to watch it together, and it was always special to me, the Wizard of Oz, so I just had to have, I had to have them slippers. Federal prosecutors in North Dakota say these shoes were stolen in 2005 and recovered in a 2018 FBI sting operation, but no arrests were made at the time. Terry Martin was indicted Tuesday with one count of theft of a major artwork. Prosecutors announced Wednesday the indictment did not provide any further information about Martin, and online records do not list an attorney for him. The Minneapolis Star Tribune reported that Martin is 76 and lives 12 miles south of the Judy Garland Museum in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. When reached by the newspaper, he said, I gotta go on trial. I don't want to talk to you. Jamie Hertz, executive director of the museum, told the good old Associated Press, you have the suspect lived nearby but said that no one who works at the museum knows him garland wore several pairs of ruby slippers during production of the 1939 musical but only four authentic pairs remain when they were stolen the slippers were insured for one million but the current market value is 3.5 million federal prosecutors said that and the slippers were on loan to the Judy Garland Museum in the late actor's hometown when someone climbed through a window and broke the display case. Prosecutors said that when they recovered it, uh, Heinz uh, Hertz Heights Heights said she and the museum staff were a, a little bit speechless that someone had been charged nearly two decades after the slippers were stolen. Now here's where things get interesting. Over the years, several enticing rewards were offered. Uh, An Arizona man put up $1 million for him in 2015. The road to the missing slippers began when a man told the shoes insurer in 2017 that he could help get them back. And the dumbass of the year award goes to. After nearly a year-long investigation, the FBI 
FBI nabbed the shoes in Minneapolis by 2018. At the time, the Bureau said that no one has been arrested or charged in the case. The shoes are famously, famous, famous, I know, associated with one of the iconic lines in The Wizard of Oz as Garland's character Dorothy clicks her heels and repeats the phrase, there's no place like home, there's no place like home. They are made from about a dozen materials, including wood pulp, silk thread, gelatin, plastic, glass, cow manure. Most of the ruby color comes from sequins, but the bows of the shoes contain red glass beads. The three other pairs worn in the movie were held by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Science, the Smithsonian, and a private collector. Now, here's the important part of this for me when I read this story. It informs me that They've finally been recovered, and the name of the guy that did it, and how he got arrested, the where, what, when, how, why, and then we come down to the kick in the nuts part. And the kick in the nuts comes to that poor bastard who loaned those shoes to that museum in Judy Garland's hometown. Because when they were stolen, the slippers were loaned from a Hollywood memorabilia collector, Michael Shaw, who received an insurance payment seven years, seven years seven years after the theft all right height said the museum staff hopes the slippers will return to garland's hometown after the legal case ends. so they're still actually other than this guy being arrested being indicted and i wonder how many years you get for stealing the ruby slippers so the guy was paid out back in 20 uh oh Oh five. It was uh he was paid off seven years after. And uh now the price is three times the amount. And if it goes back, it goes back to the museum. I'm just saying. Seems suspicious to me. I mean, I'm not saying I know who invo- who's involved in this or who all's involved, but just saying, I feel sorry for that guy. If you get the money, what happens if you get the money, someone says, and the, exactly what happens? I'll tell you what happens. He's not getting them back. I think it's going to stay at the museum. I'm also telling you this, that does it for today's show. Hey, I got a show coming up about mcpherson in oklahoma what's going on with the investigation i want to go over the search warrants i have and some of the other paperwork and some other things i found out about the mcpherson case i'm going to do a video on that coming up very soon i expect tomorrow uh if you're interested you can buy wares like this Midnight Radio Coffee Cups. Of course, this isn't one we have in the shop, but they have ones in the shop or all black at midnightrad.io. T-shirts. We have uh, uh, banana hammocks with my face on it. Um, There's all kinds of things there in the shop. You might want to check out midnightrad.io. Am I leaving anything out? I don't believe so. Today is Monday on I don't have anything else. Until next time, good night. God bless. God bless America. All my best. <laughs>